0: Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome to Encounter Grace. I'm Jason McKnight with Kent Henderson, and we're glad you're with us. Here we are at the start of 2022. We want to encourage everyone to do an audit of our lives, take stock, do course corrections. It is a wise thing to do once in a while. And I'll tell you what, an audit, a sober explanation, exploration beats a lot of the New Year's resolution stuff that we're all going to drop in two weeks. <laughs> right. We all know that. So what we thought we would do here on Encounter Grace over the next four weeks is um, look at the four books that determine the course of our life. Four books that guide us or gut us. Four books that make all the difference in how our lives unfold. And here they are, our checkbook, our date book, our phone book, and the good book. And of course, those are shorthand for areas of our life behind them. Checkbook, how we handle money. Date book, how we schedule our lives. Phone book, our relationships. And then the good book, how we relate to the Lord. So we're going to tackle these in separate episodes over the next four weeks. The hope is that we can all live with more confidence. We're going to front load the journey with our checkbook. And I'm going to tell you why, because it's the simplest one to assess at a glance. We're going to start simple. We're going to be able to see where God would have us make changes. And this is where Kent comes in. (laughs) I've been doing all the talking right now, but he's about to start doing it. Listen, Kent is someone who's been very careful with the money that God has entrusted to him and to Mary. Uh, He's living by faith and with generosity. He knows how to have fun, though. He's not a monk. And he's a good thinker about things. So we want to hear from Kent and uh, I'll interject here and there, but what we should know about money. So start talking, Kent. Yeah.
1: So Ed, I have to say, I'm really glad we're not doing date book because I thought that meant the thing in high school that had no girl's names in it for me for like three years. I know. So I thankfully, I'm going to learn something there too, but uh, we do want to share and not cause we're experts or I know more than anybody else, except that there is biblical truth. Uh, that's so, so rich for our finances. And we want to be able to talk about, oh, what do we need to be thinking? So really, we kind of want to go, what is it that every Christian needs to know about money? Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of things we need to know. And we're not financial advisors. We're not giving that kind of <laughs> right. advice. Unless something we say and you goes really well for you, and then you give us credit. That's fine. <laughs> just kidding. But, but these principles, here's the cool thing. Mm. The biblical principles for money, as well as a lot of areas of life, have been proven not just to be Christ-honoring, but they also work, like they make sense. And you don't have to be a Christian for them to work. That's the powerful thing. Um, Just like in every other area of life, you know, biblical principles for how to treat your employees or how your marriage should look, those work even if you don't know Christ just because uh, the kingdom way is the best way. We would call that, you know, common grace. Um, But as it applies to money specifically, uh, we want to talk about what are the things that I just need to know. Some of these I knew when I was young, some I had to learn the hard way. Uh, so let's kind of dive into those a little bit.
0: Yeah, let's do that, and and let's start kind of global and big picture, and then we'll get really practical as we go. But let me ask you this, Kent: What is the purpose of money? At least from Scripture. I mean, you could probably have twenty different answers, but in your experience, what does the Bible tell us the purpose of
1: money? Yeah. So I I kind of go back to something I heard a um, a preacher say probably. 25 years ago, and he said, there's a lot to say in the Bible about money and a lot of opinions about the purpose of it and what we do with it, he said, but it simply comes down to two big things, to live and to give. I uh, like, oh, okay. That's well, good. Can, first of all, I can remember that, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but second of all, um, every, these are big headers that a lot of things come under. It's fascinating. I don't know if people know this, but the Bible speaks about money more than 800 times. It has a lot to say about finances, about material things. Yeah. And um, for example, there's this little nugget from Proverbs that I just read recently, 1311 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Hmm. Oh man, that's like a great nugget. Just And a lot of things like that in Scripture. So if you take those two categories, living on one hand and giving on the other, let's start with living. So that includes sort of subset of um, everything you need for of when you're saving, so that mm-hmm. involves your savings, that involves your investing, and it involves your spending. You know, the things you have to buy, the things you have to put money in, and then saving the things you set aside, and then investing set aside, but for a long term. So that's hmm. kind of a snapshot of what living includes. And it could include more, but they probably fall under one of those three categories. The second half of the purpose of money is really about giving. And that includes all kinds of generosity. And we'll we'll dive into generosity a little bit more later. Mm-hmm.
0: Living and giving. I like that. I like that. And I hadn't heard that before, but it's super simple. Um, what do you say to the person that says, and, and and what do you say to two people? One of them says each thing. And, and on the one hand, someone says money is the answer to all the problems, which I can find myself thinking that sometimes <laughs> money is the answer to a whole bunch of my problems. Yeah. But on the other hand, someone's going to say, oh, money's the root of all my problems. It's Mm. it's
1: just this filthy lucre and it's evil. What do you say to both of those people? Yeah, and we do hear that. Um, It's easy to sort of polarize your view on something, and you can say money is great or money is totally evil. Well, what does the Bible have to say about it? And there are tons Mm -hmm. of verses, a lot in Proverbs, but also in the story, some of the parables of Jesus that teach us about this. As a matter of fact, we see this money is a reward for hard work Mm. on one hand. Scripture teaches that but it makes a poor God. Oh, that's good. So there's kind of these two guardrails like, oh, it's, and in a sense, it's neither bad nor good. It's just a tool, right? It's a neutral tool. Um, but it can, we can get into trouble if we make it the main thing that we're pursuing. So, okay, if it makes a poor God, in other words, something that we worship, or it becomes the main thing we're about, how does it become that? And there are some traps there we'll talk more about later, but uh, an abundance of debt, Hmm. makes it our God, Mm -hmm. because then it rules us, right? Uh, Also greed, because it drives us more than any other thing, pleasing Christ or serving our neighbor or the things that we know uh, we're called to be as believers. And then again, it drives us, it controls us, our greed, it consumes our attention. I don't know if you've ever thought, what is it that consumes your attention when everything else shuts down? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's... um, you know, an appearance thing, or maybe it's money and, and material things. If it consumes your thoughts, that's kind of a, a barometer that maybe it's becoming a god, a bit of an idol. So it's not evil, but it, and I love this this sentence. I didn't come up with this, but it's not an evil thing, but it's a tool given by God to use for our flourishing. Hmm. And you know, you could think about good. it's a tool like anything else. We have a certain amount of things we spend. We spend our energy. And we're going to, you know, those are the other those are the yeah. four categories we'll yep. talk about in coming yeah. weeks Deep our book. energy, our relationships, our time, et cetera. And they're just what God has given us, and we spend them. He has given us uh, the ability to spend them either for His glory or not. Um, and I love some of the ministries that are financially supportive. We think, you know, God used people who had means uh, to begin things like hospitals. You know, mm. think about all the hospitals that have been named Sacred Heart or Presbyterian or Baptist General. St. Jude's. All and... those things mm-hmm. like, oh, wait a minute, think about that. There are some Christ-following people who thought the health of the society, mm. those who are maybe especially a St. Jude example, you know, the kids who they don't, they don't pay a dime when they go there. Yeah. Um, You know, you see Tim Tebow and others promoting those Mm -hmm. for the blessing of others who may be unable to pay on their own. It's just a tool, but God has given some to bless others with. And that's a powerful tool.
0: It's so interesting because until the um, Second World War, governments were not large Mm -hmm. and chronically underfunded. And maybe that's a good thing, whatever. But who was doing all the educating and all the healthing and all the stuff like that. It was always the church and yeah. it was always the wealthy in the churches who could right. endow universities and uh, and parochial schools and hospitals and stuff like that. Um, okay. So when we think about society at large, uh, we're going to see, you know, you're looking around a cross-section of people. You're going to see people who are poor and people who are rich and everyone in between, whatever poor and rich even mean, if we want to define them, but mm-hmm. you're going to see everyone at all the levels. We know the Bible says a lot about caring for the poor. So does that mean being rich is uh, like a bad thing in God's eyes? Like what, what, right, right. How do, do we—but Or but if, who would care for the poor? Or is it only the rich that care for the— I mean, let's talk right. about poor
1: and rich and God's thoughts on both. For sure. I'll start with one of my favorite verses. It's Proverbs 30, <sighs> verses 8 and 9, uh, which the author, the, the writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches— but give me only my daily bread. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, and here's the why, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, "Ah, who is the Lord? (laughs) Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Mm. So I love this passage because it's kind of, he's not saying that being poor or rich is inherently bad. He's given us a warning. He's given us, there are ditches on either side of this that you have to watch out for. But for those who are wealthy, there are dangers. There are temptations that you're susceptible to that others may not be. You're, I'm a self-made person. Look, I've made my fortune. I built this company. You know, it's got my name on the building. I don't need God. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. And the pride that can come with that is the warning. And all the warnings about oppressing the poor for those who have the means. But even for the poor, man, there's a temptation to steal or a temptation Mm. to... um, Yeah. And you can understand, like, you know, I'm desperate. Yeah, you know, it's, it's back Aladdin. You know, taking the bread from yeah, the market. Like, what yeah, is I was thinking. <laughs> you kind of feel bad for him, but here the author's saying, but you know, either is still wrong, right? Like mm-hmm, sin is still sin, mm-hmm. and he's pointing ultimately to look to God for our provision, which yeah, is really the message: is yeah, who yeah. is your provider? Is money the answer to all of our problems? Of course not. God is our provider. He's the providential one. So sometimes we can think of being rich as equaled with being evil, or an oppressor, or a mm. dominating, uh, unhealthy authority figure, or we can uh, look at it the other way. We can equate poor with being lazy, or a failure, or just um, you know someone who's unmotivated. Both of these are caricatures. Not mm. that there aren't examples of those, but it's really not very grace-oriented or kind to just say automatically a wealthy person is this or poor person poor person is this. Right on. And they don't align with scripture. It's less about how much a person makes or has than what they do with it. Um, The Bible does speak a lot about the poor in terms of uh, instructions to His people to Mm. care for them, remember them, defend them, help them. And these are important guidelines where often it's the poor, you know, the reason for that is they don't have the means. They can't hire an attorney to defend themselves. They don't have the voice. And they don't have the credentials to maybe get the better job just yet. And and they need help. And that's Mm. our calling to do that. And so, that, but that being said, it doesn't make them inherently more godly or more honorable simply because of their economic status. And so just as we wouldn't want to take someone who is maybe of a certain ethnicity, we, like, we'd be quick to jump on that. i say racism to say they're less than mm-hmm, yeah. or, they're, or another is greater than mm-hmm. just because of someone's economic status. We don't want to do that either because yep. everyone made in the image of God has worth. Um, and what we see over and over again is, um, well, and on the other hand, so talking about those who are wealthy and have means, uh, you know, the danger is they can make it their God, and mm-hmm. it's an important warning. But also, Scripture gives us examples of a number of people who use their wealth to do His work and give generously. We talked about a couple examples from society, but there are people through Scripture we see that, even in the New Testament. You, you, got, um, you got Lydia, a business owner. Yeah, that's true. You got Jason. Don't forget him. Great legacy. <laughs> Poor, poor Thessalonica guy. You got Abigail, you know, married to a wealthy man and used mm-hmm. that wisely in the Old Testament with Abram and Lot. Mm-hmm.
0: And there's kind of a stark
1: story of one saying, well, take the land. Abram was quick to give it up, saying, that's fine, you take the yeah, better." Open-handed. And Yeah, open-handed, willing, generous. And then Job is like a, you know, a, a case study on whether it was going to be his God or not, or that Yahweh was going to be his God. And, of course, God allowed him to be tested, and he came through you know painfully painfully mm. uh, but it wasn't about the stuff for him and he lost a lot mm. so yeah it's good yeah um, it it really
0: is good like the poor are not like the image of god is in everyone and, and i think as much as for some people who are listening to this they might look at the poor and say wait you know is how do we see the image of god or, or maybe we elevate it but also the rich they also are in the image of god and they are as much in need of salvation Mm-hmm. In, but it but it's harder for them maybe to know it because, hey man, I'm jetting off to feeling pretty good. <laughs> I'm yeah. jetting off to Majorca for, for I've got all the options and opportunities. Yeah, it's, hey, well, let's get practical um, because this is really good. Like thinking rich and poor and thinking, uh, but let's get practical. For for many people, um, when we talk about saving and investing, it just can seem out of reach because. I mean, there is just a few days at the end of every month <laughs> before the next paycheck. Uh, and maybe someone says, oh, I should be saving, but now it's a feeling of guilt. And um, how do we do this? How do we like the
1: average Joe, how, how do we, how do we start yeah. taking one step? <clears throat> exactly. There are, you know, we, maybe we know we should be, but how do I start? Or I think I'm too far behind. Um, the good news about kingdom principles, you see this idea of saving and investing. Uh, and the good news about it is it works for anyone. You don't mm. have to be making six figures. You don't even have to have a full-time job. Maybe you're a student or you're in high school and you have a part-time job or you're working your way through and you begin these principles and just take it in baby steps. You know, that's kind of a Dave Ramsey term, but just take <laughs> right. small bites, if you will. Yep. yep. Um, but it's about counting the cost, planning for the future and being unselfish. And if you think about it, Those are discipleship words, right? Like counting the cost, even in following Christ, it's like, oh, salvation is free, but discipleship is costly, right? And um, planning for the future, oh, it's not just thinking about today or instant gratification, but it's thinking long-term. And then unselfishness, it's not all about me, Mm. but the generosity aspect to it. So the beauty of investing and saving is it inherently wards off some temptation. It wards Hmm. off that temptation to be immediately gratified. And, you know, we all say that to our kids, like, oh, they have no patience. You right, know, they right. want it now because the, the phone culture and all these things. But we have the same thing. Yeah. You know, we do. <laughs> we all it's do. just something else. <laughs> um, but it means making hard choices sometimes about our spending habits, hmm. living beneath our means, right? And whatever our means is, we always think the answer is, well, if I made a little more. We rarely think, well, if I just spent a little less. No, that's um, a good point. But we always think that, Watch, well, if I just had a raise or we just had the other part-time job, that would help. But the truth mm-hmm. is, it's easy to think that um, saving and investing are really for people who already have a lot. But I want to give us an example. So here's, we're going to have a little fun with us. Right, um, we right. did a little research and um, like this. you know I've kind of learned, as I, and this is what I wish I knew when I was 22, but I didn't. Hmm. Uh, I want to give us an example how almost anybody with a regular full-time job uh, can put this into action. Okay. So, and the point here is it's much more about the discipline and the long-term view um, to, payoff of this kingdom principle of investing right. for the future, then how much was handed to you by inheritance or or starting out with, you know, a bunch in the bank, which most people don't. We're all just yeah. regular people. We're just yeah. like average folks. I was a penniless immigrant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it sounds so oliver when you it say that. It sounds so oliver. <laughs> More <laughs> Anyway. So here we go. So this let's run the numbers. Yeah, let's this. run the numbers. So If you go back uh, and look at the last 50 years of just take the U.S. stock market, we're going to talk Mm -hmm. about the S&P 500. Most people have probably heard of that, Standard & Poor 500. It's kind of considered a bellwether, kind of a basic metric for how the market is doing, at least in the U.S. 500 companies. 500 companies. um, And, you know, you see that. The Dow, the NASDAQ, I don't know what that means. The S&P. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. How's it doing? Is it green or red? Mm -hmm. Yep, Um, that's right. So... What has happened over the last 50 years, that market has averaged an annual return, so what they call annualized, of 10.9%. Now, that's stunning. For 50 years. For 50 years. Now, some years it didn't make anything or it was negative. In other years, it soared above that. But again, we don't care so much about that here. We're talking about principles for a lifetime, not how can I put my money in and then draw it out next month because of this hot stock. Like, that's not what we're doing. (laughs) That's that's a whole dangerous game. um, I saw you on the ledge the other week. (laughs) I mean, oh, no, Tesla's down. Just kidding. Um, But you can, and the reason I say anybody can do this is you can go out and invest in one of these funds that match the S&P. A company like Vanguard, they're pretty well known. Everybody can do that. You don't need a special financial advisor to do that. Um, And it's just kind of general wisdom. So let's be conservative. Let's just play it out over the course of a a working lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. If we said, okay, 10.9%, that's actually pretty good. By the way, if you've ever looked at a savings account at a bank lately, you'll be super discouraged when you walk out. They're 0. Zero, four, zero nothing. One? Yeah, it's nothing. Uh, you know, that's, that's not a good long-term plan. I have it under my mattress. Oh, man. <laughs> <It> makes more. <laughs> Maybe better. <laughs> but back that 10.9%, let us play it safe and call it 9%. Let's All just right. and say, let's go Who back knows? 9%. Just to say I'm not overselling this. Mm-hmm. All right? Pick an index Because that's fund. you. You're a
0: conservative. That's it. That's <laughs> it. I'm
1: not, I'm not high risk. But... Uh, that's not that's not the best approach anyway. Take three hundred dollars a month. All right. Okay, so that's a chunk of change. It's a chunk of change. It is. But and if you think about, say, a starting salary for like a local teacher in our area is in the mid thirties, maybe forty, depending on where you jump in. That's about ten percent, maybe, mm-hmm. of the person's income. And that's kind of a not a bad starting point. If you started putting three hundred dollars a month at age twenty-two. Hmm until your working years, until average retirement age of 65 years old. If you never, if you never increase that, so maybe your income increased, but you just kept it at 300, you never add any more to it. And it just kept that 9% return. By the time you retire, it would be over one and a half million dollars. That's crazy. It is crazy. And again, it's not like, oh, wow, there's this pile of money. The point is long-term view, saving faithfully, and that discipline response is is a powerful thing. And compounding. Enough. the magic of compounding yeah. means time. Yep. Dividends and those capital gains just keep going back in. Uh, the uh, Warren Buffett,
0: who, you know, made all his money in investing, he's made 95% of his wealth since he was 65.
1: It's amazing. No, yeah, the guy last, he's 90.
0: Every year, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, he's worth 95% of all the money he's made, he's made since he was 65. It's crazy. Because of compounding. It just The pool it just, just matters. Bigger. Yeah, because yeah,
1: if that's age 65, guess what it is age 66.
0: Well, that's just it. That's just it. Um, and and so that's really interesting. So S and P five hundred, which is very normal, it's it's a reflection of our economy. So we're not talking penny stocks. We're not talking Bitcoin. We're not talking right. get in at the right time right. or market timing or anything. Prove we're and just talking mm-hmm. the most conservative thing. I mean, not the most conservative. We're just talking a fairly conservative thing if you're in the stock market. Right. And again, we're not giving advice. We're just showing what is out there. Right. Right. And and uh, we're not saying you need a one and a half million, but we're saying. Hey. That's unbelievable that that's right. just that's just there for someone. Mm-hmm. Um I, wow. Let me ask you this before we go on to the question that we have written here. Sure. <laughs> uh, this is talking investing and saving. Um Actually, I'm going to save my question for later. We'll 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 oh, keep going okay. here. Yeah. No, okay. no, no. I will. I'll, I'll get there. Sure. Why don't because I realized this question. Why don't people invest for the future? What what like what's stopping me from saying sure. right now? You know what? Maybe I can't do 300, at least I can do 100 a month. Right. And and you know Susan and I when we were first married, she left a really good job to support me full-time as mm. a student. And our take-home pay went almost in half. Mm-hmm. And she does our books even to this day. She does our books and she found a way to save 25 bucks a wow. month. Even with even taking supporting. nothing. Yep. Yeah. And and she said because if we take that savings line out of our budget. We don't know when we'll put it back in. Yeah, it's and, just the habit. Even if it's, it's small, it's just the habit. And twenty-five bucks a month is not making you anything, but. You're just, it's the discipline of it. That's and exactly right. Yeah. yeah. She went to your school.
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't me. I'm, we've learned from a lot of folks who've come before us. And these it's are right. not new it's principles. Right. No. It's just like, oh yeah, we need to hear these, especially if you're just starting out.
0: So what, what would stop me here listening to this thing? But I just can't even, afford, I can't afford 300. I, I don't even think I can do 50 bucks a month. Right. What stops someone right. from investing for the
1: future. Well, and the general thing you would say, you know, we would say if we we're counseling someone, we we'll say, let's let's take a month. And I don't even have this down here, but this is common advice is let's take a month or two months, and let's literally write down every expense you make. I mean, Mm. even the coffee, you know, because if it's four times a week at three bucks, you know, what does that add something up to the month? And it's kind of surprising. 600 bucks a year. You It's amazing. That's That's what you just said. Quick. That's right. Add that to the Netflix plus the Hulu and okay, Mm -hmm. well, what can we cut? Because we want to start thinking Mm long-term and it doesn't mean you have to live like a pauper necessarily, but I'll bet there's more things on that list than you first thought when you actually punch that debit card, you know, or when you actually see the auto withdrawal on your statement at the end of your bank uh, month or your credit card. So that's one thing is take real inventory so you mm. really know what's going out the door. Yep. And then there's a couple other things that, these are these are financial traps, and these are the things that kill people. Hmm. And sometimes we don't think about them, huh. and they're different depending on where you are, like in terms of economic status. Yeah. And this isn't to conquer and divide, it's just like, oh, well the people using them know where to put them. Mm. So for one example, the lottery is really a trap for those on the low income uh, spectrum. That's a good the people point. who I know who are, who are very generous but have also doing it very well, they're just not playing the lottery yeah, because right. they know. They just know i am spending a lot more than I have a chance to make it, even if I win once in a while, 10 bucks. Um, but it's so tempting. You see the big signs, you know, what is mm-hmm. up to hundreds mm-hmm. of millions. And that's just a temptation. Um, the other is the rent to own type hmm. places yeah because like hey, furniture man, yeah I, or i can have that new 60 inch tv today yeah. and yeah. it only costs me 12 bucks well a week for how many years you know but again short quick i can have it as opposed to saving first
0: and it's the, if you ever miss a payment oh like yeah punitive
1: stuff oh yeah like and the amount the of interest you're paying yeah. yeah you're paying for a tv and a half and mm-hmm. it's taking you two years but if you're doing that on your furniture and you're Fridge too, mm. and there are necessities and there are wants, and understanding the difference. So those are traps that tend to get people at the lower end of yeah, that's the a good point. income, and you hurt for them because sometimes folks are predatory in those things. You know, like the check-in-the-cash places. People don't always have an option. That's true. They might not have a bank account. You know, Walmart can do a four to eight dollar uh, year check, but those check-in-the-cash places they're costly. They are. And so that's kind of on the low end. In the middle income though, there are traps too. I think mm. um, you know, car loans are just a big one. Hmm. Where people feel like I have to get one that's no more than a certain amount old, or I've got to get a brand new one, or it's got to be nicer than just a Chevy or a Ford. Even and if you can afford it, great. Yeah. Like if you've got it, you know, in the bank. But if you're putting out a bigger payment each month, I mean, the average car payment in the U.S. is around five hundred dollars right now. It's unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. I mean, that's just wow. researched recently. I mean, if you could get something that's more like in the three hundred range. Or buy a used car and save that 500 a month in your own pocket for a year and a yeah, half? for your next car. Yeah. I mean, if you <laughs> if you made a $400 a month payment to yourself and just bought the beater, that $6,000 car for a year and a half, I mean, just do the math as opposed to making a $400 payment, and then you upgrade your used car, almost mm-hmm. one that's twice as expensive next time, so it's mm-hmm. you know fewer miles and all that stuff. No, it's true. But those are traps that, mm-hmm. that um, people get caught in, like, I've got to keep up, and so... You know I'm putting out all this I know I should be saving or tithing or giving um, but they get us and we don't have we're not forced into it yeah the and then news. they
0: and then because we're obligated with uh, and I would think another one in the middle income is education debt. So yeah, not all debt is wrong and, and education right. debt is not wrong, but it can go overboard and it's just and it's just caused the inflation of the cost of for university sure. so it means every anyway, blah 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 yeah but we'll, all we're saying is it makes it hard for people to Invest in their future by yeah. doing the simple things that you know will get you ahead. Exactly. What else? What
1: else? Well, I'll give a personal example. Here's when I yeah. got called in, and this is I was in my mid twenties. I wasn't married yet, um, but I was working on. My own, didn't have any expenses. And this was the late 90s, so the internet was like, you can do anything on the internet. And if you start a, a dot-com business, it'll explode. Everything's right. going to be the next right. Microsoft back then, right? And it kind of was for like a couple of years, and then it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got sucked into it, like E-Trade and TD Ameritrade. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So again, a get-rich-quick thing, right? Yep. Or at least to me, who, who I didn't know anything about stocks. <laughs> but you can still sign up, which was kind of dumb. And so I got into it. And I had a little bit of cash set aside, a couple thousand dollars. And I put it in there and read you know, reading Motley Fool and all this stuff. But I'm ignorant what I'm doing, but come to find out, about two months going in, and it doubles. Mm. So I get all two always, months, all two hey, months. Man, it doubles. Went from like three to six or something. You got the Midas touch. Oh uh, yeah, I'm like, oh yeah. Well, I'm just riding the tide. Everybody else is riding, you know, until the wave crashes. Right. And then it almost doubled within like the next four months, and I'm mm. all excited. <laughs> but back to the thing we talked about before, it's consuming my mind. Right. Like I can't, I can't wait to get up and see what's the number today and check the little ticker, and then it crashed. And mm-hmm. I lost almost all of it. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't money I needed for rent, but it was, yeah. you know, you start having these dreams of, oh, I won't have to work in two years at this rate, and I'll be <laughs> retired at age 29. And, <laughs> um, you know, you, that's all you can see is the stars. And, uh, and so I went to talk with a guy who was my Sunday school teacher, and he was also a financial advisor. He worked in Greenville, guy I super trusted. And I said, all right, this is like more than losing the money, I'm concerned about this is consuming me. Yeah, what is done to my And I soul. love the Lord, but this is like, I feel like I'm gambling. And I knew that that's not great to do. And I said, help me. And he said, okay, mm-hmm. there's two things that you're experiencing that most people experience mm-hmm. when you get caught in this, this game, it's a gambling mindset. He's one is fear and the other is greed. He mm-hmm. says, those are the two emotions that will kill you and they'll get you on this cycle. Fear oh no, it's going down. Should I bail out or fear I'm missing out on opportunity. And then the greed of oh, I got to get more and it's going to grow so fast and then I'm consumed by it. And that mm-hmm. was really helpful. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm totally yeah, caught up in that. Yeah. And I realized it wasn't, it wasn't Christ-honoring. And I was also on this get-rich-quick sort of mentality. Oh, I can get there fast and grow up big, and I'm self-made. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's this great Warren Buffett quote he talks about, the idea is to, is to grow your wealth slowly hmm. or get rich slowly as opposed to get rich quickly. And not that the point is getting rich, but the point is, no, but is planning and wise. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And, um, yeah. Hey,
0: let's. Uh, you, you triggered me with a word you said in there, mm. and it makes me want to ask. Um, so you said a gambling mindset. So investing is uh, not gambling right. because there's an underlying value to it. But there's a lot of gambling in our culture. And mm. now with the phones and now with the FanDuel and the DraftKings, and uh. it's there in our, in our phones all the time now. And even just as—and as, I think—I'm not thinking so much you and me in our age, mm-hmm. but the ones younger than us— um, it's just going to be culturally normal to watch sports mm-hmm. and think gambling at the same time. What do you do as a dad or what do you do as a friend? Yeah. Uh, thinking about the, the, the cultural
1: normality now of, of gambling. Right. And it's so much more accessible. Yeah, you don't so have much... to know a bookie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> don't exactly. Like watch the old, movie, the old movies. Who's going to break your legs? And and my kids aren't going to Vegas, at least not yet. Right. But you're right; it's right there on your phone, and you see the ads for it during the game, mm-hmm. and it is. It's very tempting because it sounds like you can make a lot with just a little, and it mm-hmm. can happen fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you beat the spread, and I don't even understand how it all works, <laughs> if you beat the spread by the end of the, the game, then man, you could you could do this. And um, but it's it is that mindset of. Um, supplanting god as my provider and hard work earns its reward in pay or wise thoughtful investing earns its long-term reward in growing to oh i can i can do this and then you start risking things beyond your means mm. and i think as a parent i'm thinking i don't want my kids to be suckered in by it. it's in essence it's a scheme i mean don't you think fanduel knows knows the numbers to where they're going to win more than you well the house Vegas does always does. win they do <laughs> But you, don't, but, you know, they lure you in with bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think we have to be cautious and warn our kids about it and, and even friends who we know are getting suckered in. And, you know, if it's something – here's here's a helpful thing. If you're in something and you feel like you have to hide it from your spouse or if you're a child and you feel like you have to hide it from your parent, that's probably that's a good deal. sign that you shouldn't be in it. Like if you're having to hide what you're spending yeah. – you know, people all the time, like, sneaking off and gambling and then they lost the – you know, they bet the house, like literally. Mm-hmm. And then their wife founds out later – Like, that's a sign that you're in trouble. You know, Mm -hmm. get help. And there is help, and you don't have to be stuck in that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, you know, it puts you in debt. We talk about debt a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the Bible does speak about debt a lot, uh, never in a positive way, interestingly. It stops short of prohibiting it, uh, but it generally talks about the dangers and the weight of it, the way it takes away our options and our freedom, and even chances to be generous. Um, oh, you know, we, had a, we both had a friend who was called to the mission field years ago, had a, had a great job, and we were so excited for him to go to the mission field. And he said when he was in the process with the mission, the sending agency, they said, you can only go. He said, you're ready to go, except for one thing. You owe a lot of debt, <laughs> school loans, some other things. He said, you can't go until you paid off. And he, he was kind of shocked by that. Really? Like, I'm to serve the Lord. Like, yeah, but you're carrying this baggage, Mm -hmm. and you can't ask people to support you when you still have money you owe to other people, in essence. And it's going to be on your mind. It weighs you down where you want to be over there planting churches and sharing the gospel. I thought that's wise. Dave Ramsey, in his book,
0: Entre Leadership, says when he hires someone, he does not hire someone with debilitating debt Mm. because they will not be able to work. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's a distraction, isn't it? It is a distraction. Um, so let's uh, we have been talking about wealth we've been talking about debt gambling all the things on the side of increasing what, what, mm-hmm. we, what is in our hands so it's yeah. not what we own or what we have but what God's mm-hmm. put there but, but we're stewards of it so we're but we don't want to be prosperity gospel we're not Absolutely. and we don't want to be focusing too much on growing our wealth so how do we navigate
1: that danger and what are the dangers there yeah, and Bible gives a lot of warnings about a love of money. Hebrews 13:5, I like this one. It says, "Keep your life free from a love of money hmm. and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you for, nor forsake you." we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. That's great. You know, we quote the second part of the verse all the time. God has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But it's connected to, oh, the dangers of a love of money Mm -hmm. and a lack of contentment. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. Just this morning, just happened to be, happened to be, in our family (laughs) quiet time, it was about contentment and gratitude. Hmm. And I don't remember who the author was, but he said, you know, living a life that's discontent, always wanting more, is really rooted in a lack of gratitude. We're not thankful for what we have. You know, you give your kids something, they go, ah, I was hoping it would be that, or I was hoping there'd be two of them. And immediately, you know, you kind of deflate it, right? Like, hey, how about a little gratitude for what you did get? And all of that is rooted in a lack of faith that the Lord really is gonna be our provider. And the Bible is clear to say, love of money is the problem. It's not the the money itself, but it's the love or the being consumed by it. And that's again, turning it into an idol, you Mm -hmm. know, making something that was a good tool, but now it becomes our whole point. And so like how do we how do we combat that because absolutely we don't be consumed by it um and the first one is what we just said a contentment with what god's given us that doesn't mean we're not planning doesn't mean we're not intentional about the resources we have but we're thankful that's the second one is the gratitude it reminds us also that our needs and our wants are not necessarily the same
0: that's you true. know like
1: you probably do <laughs> need a car if you live in this culture yeah. to get to work or transportation but it might not be the one you're looking at that's, you know, you've been looking at the adder driving by the new car lot lately, especially with today's yeah. prices. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, what about I'm thankful for what mm-hmm. I have? And then the last one, of course, is generosity. And I think it'd be good to talk about that for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is always the attitude God's causing us to. You know, the first 10%, we say, tithe to your church. That's what the mm-hmm. tithe is. And often mm-hmm. we tell people here, you know, if you don't feel like you can do 10%, start with 5 Just start the habit and then pray, Lord, give me eyes and means to step that up or find ways to do that. So I'm being faithful to that call.
0: And I always encourage when I do premarital counseling to consider even graduated tithing so that Mm. when you get to 10%, then, you know, the next year you get a raise or a bonus and then a raise or a bonus or a raise or a bonus. And you actually on that extra, you tithe more. Yeah. Or give to somewhere else more, but to the Lord. And Before you get sudden, used to spending it all on yourself you, right away. Because you don't have it today. Right. And then all of a sudden you're given 12% on that 3% bonus or something, yeah. whatever. And five years, 10 years later, you're given 15 20% of your income. You've not missed a thing, yeah. and
1: you're more sold out for the kingdom. And it, it works, <laughs> it does. And then I'm supporting this missionary or this new yeah, effort. You're... And all of a sudden you care more about what's going on there or the yes. people they're serving or this ministry that's happening. You know that um, where your money is there, your heart will be also. And we talk about, you know, the heart sometimes follows the money, mm-hmm. right?
0: Which it did for you with the, the story about
1: day trading. Absolutely, you're hard for all the money. And yeah, figured it, it out. By it. I'm yeah. super proud and excited, or I'm super, mm-hmm. you know, kind of mm-hmm. disgusted by my my yeah. own self. Um, no, it's good. And so then the last one, what you just said, where then after you've you've given, you've saved, where else can I give God? What else do you want me to mm-hmm. be a part of? Yeah. Um, and here's the interesting part: it doesn't mean God doesn't want you to have things, or you can't enjoy the things He's given you. We're not saying, you know, we're um, glorifying poverty. Mm-hmm. Obviously, nope. But um, and let me just use an example of my wife for a minute. So the Lord blessed us to be able to move into a house that we've been looking at for a few years. And we had kind of gotten to the point where, well, I don't think it's gonna happen, and that's fine. And, you re- and we really had to wrestle with the Lord, like, are we gonna be content with this? First I said it through gritted teeth, but then I kind of relaxed and said, no, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. Uh, and then would you know it opened up, and part of the reason I wanted that house really was my wife loves to cook, right? And so it had and a huge kitchen. We love when your wife loves to cook. <laughs> we all do. And it has a lot of counter space and more mm. room to spread out. And there's just all these times in the kitchen where, you know, because I'm always in there helping. Always. <laughs> well, can I cut up those uh, celery sticks, babe? Um, but we just didn't have enough room. We're falling over each other. So I thought about this just last night or night before last. We were at home, and she had two entire meals spread out. And this is just my wife. Um, one was for us, and then one was for a family where the husband's been in the hospital. In mm-hmm. fact, he, re- he just got released. But she wanted to bless them. This is a family that lives up in another city. And uh, she said, I need to take them a meal. They just need it. They, they can't even get out of the house. It's terrible. And I thought, Lord this is why we want it or at least this is the goal you know we want it to be used not so we can go wow we have more room to spread out but to go how can this be used for glory and sometimes we're selfish but sometimes we go lord give us ideas on how to use these resources for your glory and believers have been doing that for generations. Yeah. Um, right. we were just talking about the story uh, maybe can you tell this story about Laterno well, what is such a powerful one to be. I love this I mean RG Laterno who
0: also born in Vermont of all places okay, but he became the biggest deal in earth moving and and we're talking mm-hmm. the early part of the century he died in the 60s or something so he's but he just became fantastically wealthy and he was in it for himself and his sister challenged him mm. he's about 30 years old and he's doing well and he has a crisis of faith and she's like when are you going to get serious about god and he's like well if i get serious about god i'm going to have to go overseas as a missionary and i don't want to do that cuz i like my job right you know like i like what i'm doing and the and the so a spiritual mentor pastor says to him are you kidding god needs businessmen too and so he's like oh you mean i can be in business for god so he doubles down on inventing and producing and all these things and the Laterno earth moving stuff. And, you know, and then, of course, you make so much money, you give so much money away. And he, whenever he'd kind of sign a book or sign a whatever, he'd always include Matthew six thirty three, Seek first the kingdom. Yeah. And that's in the context of worry and wealth mm-hmm. in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm he got to where he and his wife decided, and this is a conviction thing, it's not for everybody, they're going to give 90 and live on 10. It's amazing. Oh, it's easy to do that if you're a billionaire. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Because all your friends have big yachts. You know, like uh, Mm it's... No, so he's given 90, living on 10. And he says, the question is not how much of my money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself. Uh. And I like that, and it's not a guilt thing right like it don't I, you know we don't it's, it's just the perspective god owns it we're using it this is what i love kent about having you share this because you're not afraid to spend money for your family like you're buying the atvs and the dirt bikes and you're having fun with them because that's what you got to do with god's money you got to build memories with your kids and stuff and i love that and and it's not like you know we got to strain and, and live with nothing just so that we can give 90 you know right he's giving 90 What's he call, What's what's God calling you and me to and, and people listening? That's what we got to do. So I'm excited. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean my, my sense is that as we start off at the beginning of the year, everybody listening to this, watching this, man, start this week with the checkbook. Okay, Lord, let me do an inventory. What am I spending? Where are the things that are hurting me that I don't even know about? How can I trust you more? Is it a Dave Ramsey or a Crown Financial that I need to, to take a look at? I mean, there's a million tools out there, but start the audit and watch God work. I mean, yeah. 22, 2022 is going to be a different year if you do an audit and follow through. Yeah. All right.
1: Last word. That's it. Trust go, the Lord. Go for it. Spend less than you make. <laughs> and give generously. All right. There it
0: is. Checkbook. And we'll, we'll tune in next time for the next, uh, the next of the four books. Thanks for joining us. Share this with a friend because you know you have a friend who needs it. That might be hard to share with them, but just do it. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook.